0: Hey, and welcome to Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm so thrilled that you've chosen to tune in. This week we had a special guest speaker, and you got to know as a church, we don't have random strangers stepping into our pulpit, we have friends. When we trust, we believe carry a gift that adds value to us as a community. I believe the message you're about to hear will inspire you, encourage you and equip you for life, no matter who you are or what you find yourself doing. If you'd like to find out more about our church and ways that you could partner with us, please visit quippercc.com. God bless.
1: For those of you who know my story um, and those of you who don't, I'll just give you just a quick snapshot. I was 14 when I met Jesus. When I met him, I had come from a family that was wonderful, beautiful, uh, but part of my family, as is yours, was very broken. And the broken part of my family, it was expressed in a way that was uh, anger and violence from my dad. The strange thing was we grew up going to church, our whole family. And so it was this, this strange... It was a dichotomy of going to church and hearing about the goodness and faithfulness and even singing it as well. But the reality of my life looking very different. So when I was 14 and I met Jesus and I I opened up my heart. Now, what I want you to hear is the difference between going to church and meeting Jesus. (laughs) because we went to church. But I had no idea who he was, none. But when you come to a place in your life where you come face to face with your humanity, with the brokenness of the humanity around you, with your own limitations, with the deep desires in you that are unmet, you ask, you seek, You try and find some sort of answer. And so at 14, I asked Jesus. And I I just tell you this story because from the time I was 14 to now, I'm 33. I know I don't look it. Okay, I know, I know. Yeah, thanks. From the time I was 14 till now, I have never, excuse me, I've never gone to church the same I can't. This can't be routine. Not when I know a God that saves like that. Not when I know a God that heals like that. Not when I know a God who was faithful like that. And so when I come into the house of God and there's a chance to sing all my life, You have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so good. It means more to me every time. And this might sound weird, but I am so thankful for my brokenness, right? I'm so thankful for my sin. Not that that's an excuse to repeat it. You feel me, right? I'm thankful because it reminds me every time how good He is and what I was saved from and what I am saved to. So what I want us to do right now is my beautiful friend, she's gonna lead us again just a little bit longer. Could you just close your eyes with me? I just want you to eliminate some distraction. Close your eyes, everyone in the room, if you would. And I just want you to think about how good God has been to you. For those of you who know him, come on, remember his goodness. Remember how you've been saved. Remember how we taught you hope. Remember how we gave you love. Remember his goodness, his mercy. And with that, we sing together. Um, hey, look, I, I, I love a bit of extra time worshipping. And can you please give your team a massive round of applause? What a team. How amazing. Um, I think, uh, like, post the Garden of Eden, right, post Adam and Eve, I think we think that the default human condition uh, in terms of a relationship with Jesus is atheism, right? Uh, but it's actually not. It's idolatry. That's, the, that's our default human condition. It's idolatry. It's, it's, it's that we set our desire on whatever we want. Right? Uh, Marriage, kids, family, Uh, we set our desire on um, education, on a PhD, on beauty, on romance, on a happily ever after, on comfort. We set our desire, right? Post Eden, we set our desire on whatever we want. And I think the greatest worship is when we set our desire on God and God alone. Because ultimately, God is the only one who can satisfy us. Why? Because desire is infinite and only that which is infinite can solve that problem. Did you catch that? That's the only way to solve the restlessness in you. That's the only way to solve the dissatisfaction in you because the desire in us is infinite. You know, if you were ever in youth ministry in the 90s, there was a phrase you would always hear, there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us, right? Sister, you know, right? You're like, wow, that sounds really weird. But it makes sense. But what, what, what that's actually saying is that there's a desire that God put in us that can only be satisfied by Him. That's why people live their whole lives trying to satisfy their desire and they come up short, if anything, because only because desire is infinite catch it because desire is infinite only that which is infinite can solve the problem so when we come into church and when we take 20 minutes to lift up praise and worship what are we doing we're realigning our desire from things that are good but ultimately is a form of idolatry <laughs> Welcome to church! Woohoo! Well, ultimately, it's a form of idolatry if the desire is first not set on God, and all these things shall come after. Yeah? And so, like, I I say this, and I, I speak this way, because the last time we were here was not a nice time. You guys were lovely. Nothing to do with you guys, but we had just come from London. This was two years ago. And I was eight weeks pregnant. No, sorry, I was 11 weeks pregnant. And while we were doing schools in London, I, I miscarried. And then, I know, I, yeah, sorry, I just breezed past that like it was nothing. I don't mean to do that. It was a big deal. But two years on, I am healed, not because we now have a child. I am healed because when I, I wept, I wept when I landed here again. Because when I came here again this week, I was a different person. Not because I now have a son. I was a different person because in my grief and in my brokenness and in my anger and in my confusion, God was there and He saw it all and He heard it all. And when something like that happens in your life, when there's a pain like that, your pain will look different to mine, but it's pain. Something happens, uh, and for me it happened, that my world was reprioritized. There were things that just don't matter. They just don't matter. When... When there's, when there's something that, sh- that shakes your world, it reprioritized everything very quickly. The things that don't matter, I did I couldn't care less about them. The things that did matter, they became of the utmost importance. That's why I speak of aligning desire. Because can I just say this? It is an utter waste of time. And emotional, any any lazy people out there, just with me? Thank you, right? It's like it's 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 a waste of time. And as the saying goes, ain't nobody got time. It's this emotional energy that we expend, setting our desire on things other than God. And so, when when things uh, when things were not so great the last time we were here, my my whole life reprioritized, and I began to pray this prayer, Uh, Lord. Make me blind and deaf to the things that don't matter. I I don't make me blind and deaf do not I d I don't I don't need to have a desire for the things of this world. I don't need to have material things to to have value. You know, what am I, a parking lot? I don't need to be validated. It's 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 not. I just make me blind and deaf to the things that don't matter. And there are two things. Two things that God taught me, that I would love to share with you this morning, if you would allow me, two things. Two things that should be my priority, and they were his presence and people. That's it. And two years since, my only priority has been his presence and people. That's what matters. And so this morning, I pray you would go with me to the word, and I pray your heart would be open, that if you're here this morning and you feel at a distance from his presence, that when you leave the service today, you will have encountered him in a way that would shape and change your life forever, that never again will you walk into this building ever like you used to. It will be, there will be a sense of expectation and, oh, God, what are you going to do today? And I'm in, in such awe of what you might do, what you could do, and I'm leaning in and I'm ready. Is that all right, church? Awesome. Fantastic. And so the interesting thing is the word priority. That's been the journey. Um, originally, when we started to use we, the Western world, when we started to use the word priority, it only ever existed in the singular Makes sense, right? It only exists in the singular. Priority. You can only have one. Because priority is for something to come first. Priority is for something to come first. Right? So if everything comes first, then nothing comes first. And so, some, somewhere in the 1900s, we, Western civilization, decided that we would pluralize the word as if changing the word would change reality. Yeah. <laughs> and now we can have priorities. Not so. Not so. Actually, you can only have one because the very nature of a priority is that which comes first. So, I, I just want to say that because I'm not saying the other good things don't matter. Of course, they matter. My question is what is your priority? The question is, what comes first? And so this morning, I want you to turn to Luke in chapter seven. Oh, I love this scripture, right? It's such a good one. And we're gonna have a good time in the Word. And I'm gonna read, does everyone love my accent? Can you understand me? Okay, I'm just making sure you can understand me. I introduced myself to a few people and I had to say my name several times because people thought that my name was Easter my name is Esther, which I think is how you say it in American. Esther. Yeah. In Kiwi, we just say Esther, but yeah, okay. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. Okay. Um, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Hey, there's that food reference again. Come on. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought an alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Slightly awkward, don't you think? Yeah, it was awkward then too. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. When Je- then Jesus answered his thoughts. Is that not the scariest sentence? That is the scariest sentence ever. Then Je- Jesus didn't answer your prayer, he answered your thoughts. Why, Jesus? Aren't you answering my prayer? Because he's answering your thoughts. Oh come, on. oh, come on. That's good preaching. Oh, Jesus, what not you break through for me? Well, maybe you need to forgive. Okay, no, no, just for me. Okay, cool. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, confident. Go ahead, teacher, speak publicly. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him. Uh, For time's sake, we're going to move down to verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Speak, Jesus. Tell me what's on your mind. You know, I I tell you, her sins, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little, only shows a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who was this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a scripture, right? Oh, Lord. Oh, wait, I just, I'm sorry. I'm a bit of a crazy tangent. Hey, my, uh, as Pastor John said, my husband's here and also my son is too. My son loves church. Um, so if you see him, he, he will run away from us and just run around and pretend that he belongs to everyone. So if you see him in the foyer, please catch him and bring him to one of us. That would be ideal. <laughs> All right. So the first thing about the priority of his presence is that his, the presence of God allows access which I, think, which I think in our everyday we can often forget that his presence allows access. In this story, you can always tell someone who's trying to seize the moment because they just don't care what anyone else thinks. I love this chick. She just doesn't care. I just, she doesn't care about proper ordinances of behaviour. She doesn't care about who should be where. All she sees is the presence of Jesus. And because of that, it changes the way she behaves. In Jesus' name, I pray you wouldn't start with the way that you behave. Rather, you would start with who you see. And instead, who you see might transform you so that what might flow out of you would be a different kind of approach to where you may have been limited before. The presence of God allows this incredible breakthrough access. This woman, she would have had to walk through a wall of carnality, right? This is, this is like first century Jewish culture. There's no way that woman, a woman, should be in that room. There's no way a sinner woman, and that's what she was. There's no way she should be there among rabbis and holy people. But Jesus allows this. Don't you love that about God? I don't deserve it. But I can still be here in confidence. But I can still walk into His presence with absolute confidence. I love that. As I was saying before, sometimes what you have been through teaches you priority. Anyone? Oh, Teaches you don't have time to play games teaches you man's opinion, it doesn't hold bearing. And it teaches us a remarkable thing, oh gosh, it teaches me something remarkable, that Jesus doesn't deny the horrible part of her story. Her whole story, her whole narrative is accepted in his presence. That there is nothing, we must remember, there is nothing we can go through, nothing we have been through, that would tarnish and shape us so much that Jesus would not want us in his presence. That he instead has removed every obstacle that we might be able to be in his presence. Now, as we read in this scripture, actually, if you've noticed in Luke, if anyone's done a study of Luke, Jesus is always going to a meal. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Just read through Luke. He's going to a meal, he's sitting at a meal, or he left a meal. (laughs) Jesus and his priorities... I love this, but this is really, really important. And I just want to give it just a little bit of context because we just think uh, meals for us can often be functional. Is there, are there any families in the room here who still do um, eating a meal at the table together? Just show of hands? Oh my gosh, I can't want to come to your house. I love that. That's actually It's, it's not common, really in the Western world for families to sit down and have meals together. But even that's kind of like a functional thing. For first century Jewish culture, meals were more than filling your tummy. Uh, meals were everything. 400, Jesus, 400 years before Jesus came to earth, all the Jews were taken uh, captive and were in exile in Babylon. We know this, right? Yeah, yeah, we know this. And because they were exiles, they they didn't um, they, they weren't able to perform, the to go to the temple, right? Which was the overlap between heaven and earth. They couldn't go to the temple. All the sacrificial ordinances, all of the worship practices that were given in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they weren't able to do that anymore. So they had to switch things up. In order to still be Jewish people who followed God and who obeyed the law, they had to switch things up. So there's a slide that's gonna come up just to to make this clear. Yeah, cool. There we go. So this was the thing. So now... The home, your home is the new temple. The table is the new altar. The father of the house is the new priest. And the meal is the new sacrifice. Wow. Leave that up there. So you understand when Jesus is sitting and having a meal, it was more than functional. It was about who is appropriate to be in the kingdom and who is not. So most New Testament scholars will say it was not the miracles Jesus was performing that had people um, look at Him and, and want to kill Him. It was the fact that who He included at the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. It was the fact that a sinner woman could come and sit at the table. You are welcome here. Because this was the way that culture was set first century Jewish times, who you brought into your house should not be a Gentile, should not be someone who was deformed, should not be someone who was known as a sinner, who you bring to the table shows the whole world who you include and who is included in the kingdom and who should not be. So when this woman walks in, what Simon says, he's not being arrogant, and mean. He's just saying this. What, what, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know? Here's, here's the thing. Most, most rabbis, all of them actually, they firmly believed in Jesus's time if all of the Jews simply obeyed the Torah for one day, exile would be over, the Messiah would come, and everything would be fine. So Jesus doing this and inviting a sinner woman to the table, Zacchaeus, Luke 19, it was reprehensible. It was not just a cute story. It was reprehensible because you, a rabbi, are delaying God coming. But the presence of God allows breakthrough access. That those which people say, You are not accepted. Jesus says, come sit at my table. Jesus says, come and sit with me and I will eat with you. You are welcome. And I I just want to speak to every part of us that doubts whether we're welcome at the table. You are welcome. I want to speak to every part of our humanity that says I'm not good enough, that says I I, I don't belong here. I want to say you belong. I want to say you belong in this house. I want to say before you even start acting like a Christian, you belong. You belong at the table with Jesus. And I want to declare that this morning. And I pray, I pray that this be a house that anyone who would walk in here would belong. Would belong. And uh, I've I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to get the band to come up that will remind me I've only got 10 minutes. Yeah, come on, guys. Come on. There's there's no there's no being subtle now. I've just highlighted you all. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> being welcomed at the table to eat in first century Jewish culture. Excuse me. It was a ceremony. It was ritual. It was symbolic of friendship and intimacy. And this morning, I want to say that you've been, you're welcome to feast on his goodness. For any person in here who is contending for God to move in ways that he's never moved before, I pray that even just now, Perhaps you would push pause and you would just come in and sit with him, so to speak. And I've, I, I know it's a strange word to say, but even as I've held this service and you all in my prayer, I've just had this word in my head, relax. Relax. Wow. Like, chill out. which is weird because you're Californians, you know? Isn't that your way of life? Uh, K- kind of. We, we pretend. No, that's just Kiwis. <laughs> and I just, I really felt that word, just relax. Come in, that, that, that God invites you into his house or that you would invite him into your heart and then you would breathe. Some of us just haven't, breathed. Ladies, we're going to do some breathing tonight. No, that sounds weird, right? It's going to be a good time. And it was just, I, I know it's a strange word and it's a simple word, but I just want to say, relax. God has got it taken care of. And if you need to hear that this morning, could you just right now just lift your hand and just say, God, I'm relaxing in you. Exhale, just Exhale. Just let go. There are things that you're so anxious about, so worried about. There are people in here who have been living in a constant state of rush and hurry and franticness, trying to be the person you think you're supposed to be or do the things you think you're supposed to do. But right now that God would say, relax, come in, take your... Take your shoes off and relax. He's prepared a meal for you. And so, Father, I pray where anxiety has been tightening around people's hearts, I pray a release right now in Jesus' name. Lord, where the thoughts of, I have to get this done, I must do this, and then this, and then this, and then this, where the thoughts of hurry, the to-do list is taking over, taking priority. I just pray that you would silence those things in Jesus' Name, and your voice would be the loudest. Oh, that we would tune our ears to your Word. And I just pray peace. Peace peace be your guide. Peace be your guide. The God of peace. It doesn't mean that the situation will change immediately. It doesn't always mean that, but it means peace. Would you open your eyes for a minute? Uh, this year has been Probably the hardest year of my life for various reasons, and I won't bore you with the details. And one of the hardest reasons because I'm I'm the youngest and I'm the only girl in my family, and my name is Esther, like the queen in the Bible. So if you you guys just know, I just I'm used to things being done for me. And such has been my relationship with God. A lot of it has been because I'm God, Um, I'm Esther, you know? And God has been so good. But this year, clearly, I heard God say to me, Esther, I will not rescue you. Oh, cool. Thanks, God. But I heard God say that to me, Esther, I will not rescue you, but I'll be walking with you the whole time. Which I'm glad you can clap. That is not comfortable. That is not nice at all. I will not rescue you, but I will walk with you. And what I have known is in the storm, I have known the peace of God. And it's that peace I pray over you today. It is that peace. The storm may be raging, but I pray peace. Peace in your heart and peace in your mind. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. That was one point. This is the last one. And this one has been dear to my heart, the presence of God and His people. Uh, In verse 39, I think it's going to come up on the screen. In verse 39, Sorry, does someone have a tissue? You know, it's, I'm sniffing here. Oh, Whitney, who needs a Whitney in their life? Oh my gosh, everyone needs a Whitney. Oh. Okay, look, talk amongst yourself. I'm just gonna blow my nose. All right, I hope you talked amongst yourselves, okay. Seventh, we're family. Oh man, you don't want me to get comfortable up in here. Honestly. Woo-hoo. Okay. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, she would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Say it, she's a sinner. She's a sinner. Here's, here's what the presence of God does with people. It breaks dividing norms. And this is what I want to declare, that this would be a church that would break dividing norms in Jesus' name, that we would be the kind of people that would break dividing norms. We know that in, in Revelation 12, the enemy is 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 called the accuser. Yes, the accuser of the brethren. That word accuser in Greek, it is the word categor, where we get the word category, right? Because it is literally... It is a strategy of the enemy to put us in categories to divide, right? And if I can just say this, that is why it is—that that is why racism is reprehensible to God because it is a dividing category. But you, the world would know that we know, sorry, the world would know that we are Jesus' disciples because our love one for another, love that unites, love that brings us together. And so I wanna declare this morning, wherever those dividing norms are, people who should go to church, people who shouldn't, people who we think should be accepted, people who shouldn't, But I just want to declare, if if there has been a box put around you, that I want to break that box now in Jesus' Name. Those categories, you're you're unqualified, you can't do it. Who do you think you are? Those are lies of the enemy, that they separate us from each other and they separate us from God. And it's not okay. And I want to declare this morning where you have been accused, or in Jesus' Name, where we may have been guilty of being accusing, of categorising, saying this is acceptable and you are acceptable and you are not. I pray in Jesus' Name, again, I declare that this church would be a church that would unite where there are dividing norms. I'm gonna finish with this. This has been the most challenging scripture to me. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, one to four. Jesus called His 12 disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out spirits, uh, impure spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. These are the names of the 12 apostles. The first Simon, who was called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Um, You can take that off the screen. These are the people Jesus chose to change the world with him. I think it's odd. I think Jesus, you need a bit of work on your recruiting strategy, right? Let's just take two people. In this situation, let's take, uh, there's two people who are highlighted in terms of not just their relation, but kind of what they do, who they are. There's Matthew, the tax collector, and there's Simon, the zealot. You just, you just right Let me just read you what a zealot is. A zealot is a right-wing Jewish insurgency group that would conduct violent guerrilla-like terrorist activity on unsuspecting Roman soldiers in the quest of Israeli independence. And then in the same group of people, there's Matthew, the tax collector, who's on the payroll of Rome. You, you, you imagine that coffee at breakfast time. Simon the Zealot sitting there across from Matthew, trader. It is literally taking every bone in my body, every part of my will, not to stand up across from this table and kill you. You're an embarrassment to who we are on the payroll of Rome. How hey, you've taken advantage of our people. You've taken advantage of my family. You stole from my family. Well, that's a nice coffee, coffee group. Imagine having an e-group with that group of people. Most of the time, who we invite to the table and who we have in our e-groups are people just like us. Think like us, who we are comfortable with. That's not the community Jesus chose to surround himself with. Just to stay walking with Jesus, the amount of forgiveness they would have had to have. Can you imagine how many of those disciples would have treated Matthew? Matthew, the tax collector, was the lowest of the moral low. Think of the lowest of the moral low in your society. Think, and how would you feel? How would you feel if you saw a Facebook picture, Instagram picture of Jesus just hanging out, hanging out here with my bud? I don't know about you. That would make me personally and quite honestly feel rather uncomfortable. But Jesus brings them together. Can you imagine that picture? And it's these people He chooses to change the world. I pray we do community like that. You're welcome, not just to Jesus' table, you're welcome to mine. You're welcome to mine. Come on over. I'll, I'll finish with this. My, my husband and I, it was a hard time when we got engaged and we went to get married. It was a difficult time. It was a difficult time because me as an introvert, I know you wouldn't believe, but I very much am. I wanted 20 people at my wedding. 18 of them would be my family. <laughs> right? I wanted this tiny, tiny, tiny wedding. At our ceremony, I think we had like 300 people there. It's ridiculous. And that's like I am not about that, right? I couldn't think of anything worse. And I remember having this argument with my husband, then fiance, you know I was like, the deal is not done. This can break any time, you know. It's terrible. That's me being spoiled. And as we're having this conversation, my husband, Ben, he says this to me, Esther, up until now our lives have not been about us. Why would our wedding? And I thought, oh, I rolled my eyes and I said the words that most wives find difficult to say. You're right. Okay. And our wedding became the celebration with as many people as possible in the room. So we could share with them the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for God. I pray this be a church that doesn't just encourage people to Jesus's table, but you encourage people to yours. People who don't think like you, who don't talk like you, people who you may disagree with, but I pray you bring them to the table. I did this experiment, the social experiment. That's what we call it. Actually, it's just Christianity. I did the social experiment with with my small group back home. And I said, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to invite anyone to church. Right, wait, I'm not finished. Uh, what I want you to what I want you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to shape your imagination to find someone in your world who is close to you but far from God. And instead of it, as well as inviting them to church, you know, what I want you to do is invite them to your table. Yeah. And so they did. We did this over three weeks, where they invited people in their worlds to their table, without fail, without fail. So many of of all there's maybe apart from two girls, I have twelve girls in my small group apart from two girls, they all were messaging me saying, I didn't invite these people to church. They asked to come. That people will know we are His disciples by the love we have one for another. We're not a marketing scheme. We're not selling people the gospel. But if we show love, the same love that Jesus taught us to break dividing norms, they didn't even have to invite. Who feels awkward about inviting people to church? You what some people do? Yeah. And introverts, look, we die at most public conversations. But then this way, as people were being invited to the table, it was incredible. For me, my high school friend came to mind and I hadn't seen her in fifteen years. I stalked her on Facebook, right? Because I just wanted to make sure she, you know, I could contact her. And the Holy Spirit gave me her name and I stalked her on Facebook. I realized that two weeks prior to my, to my message, she had just lost her husband to cancer. And she's, she, was, she has a six-month-old baby. And she lives five minutes up the road. And I was able to meet with her we talk regularly, this was about two months ago, and pray with her, and she is mad at God. But I just get to be with her, and I just get to love her, and I will get, I will get, I look forward to the day where we will hold hands, and I'll get her to, I'll be able to pray with her, to have Jesus in her heart. You know, if I had invited her to church, she would have said no straight away. Because of the situation she was in. But instead, I invited her to my table. Or rather, I invited myself to hers. I pray this morning that your hearts would be open. Why don't we stand together? Oh, open your eyes before you stand. Could be a health and safety nightmare in here, you know. Stand up, stand up. what I'd love us to do this week is I just want to spend a little bit of time now allowing the Spirit of God to shape your imagination to bring to mind a person a family you might be able to bring to your table and yeah 100% invite them to church please hear me this place is an amazing place but as well as that I pray you invite them as you have been invited to the table of God, so you would invite them. I've I've been reading a lot of books around meals and food and and Jesus together, all in one. Right bit of research. And again, most of the writing, most of most scholars will say that there are two key things that ensured the spread of the gospel worldwide. One, of course, was Pentecost, the Spirit of God poured out from heaven onto people. But the second part was that there was a pouring out from heaven, but it had to land somewhere. And where it landed, it landed in the same example that Jesus set for all people. It landed at the table. They say that it was this, in fact, this meaningful expression of inclusion and communion and community that meant that this wasn't just another religion that could sit as well as the Roman gods of empire but this was the one true god and actually it was the sitting at the table and the walking together and doing life together that dethroned the Roman gods of old isn't it great that god made it so simple for us it was that it was the God encounter, but it landed somewhere real every day of the week. It landed in a conversation. It landed in community. It landed in a meal. It landed in an embrace. It landed in everyday life. And I pray we would get uncomfortable with the Sunday kind of Christianity. I pray it would disturb you as it has disturbed me. And I pray that every moment we have, we are wanting to invite people in as we have been invited. So right now, Come on, I pray that the Spirit of God would shape your imagination. That even now, you'd begin, it would begin to come to mind that person, that family member, that friend from years ago, that relationship that has been at a distance. And right now, would you take 30 seconds just to pray for that person, for that family? Would you begin to pray for a divine appointment? Come on, would you begin to open your mouth and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you've brought this person to mind. Lord, as I reach out, as I message them or call them, as I I reach out to them, God, that you're gonna meet us there in a powerful moment, that they're gonna know your reality. They're gonna know that you're not just an idea. You are a person that is living and breathing and loves them fully. So we pray. God that this week would be a week of people um, who don't know you getting to know you again in Jesus name okay so here's the thing now just message them just call them if they're female invite them tonight it's gonna be is there food is there gonna be food oh my gosh forget food there's gonna be coffee Oh my gosh, it's heaven's juice. Oh, I love it. Invite them tonight or just have a meal with them, have a coffee with them and see what God will do. But lastly, before I hand over back to Pastor John, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for two things. Firstly, as I was talking about those dividing norms, if there's anyone here with every head bowed and eye closed, if there's anyone here who you feel like you've been boxed into a category, you can feel the limitations closing in. Right now I just pray by the Spirit of God that those limitations would be broken in Jesus name. If that's you, would you just do me a favor with every head bowed and eye closed? would you just take would you just lay your one of your hands on your mind? And right now, God, in people's minds, where those limitations are, I pray that they be broken as they lay hands on themselves now that those limitations do not exist. I pray wide open spaces, wide open doors. I pray even today as they leave from here that they'd be able to dream again, dream, dream, dream again, where where there's only been thoughts of this is what I can do and only this and only this. I pray God an abundance of dreams. And there's some of you who you've been dry in the dream area. And I just declare, even as you've laid hands on your mind now, that the Spirit of God would come in and help you to dream again. You're going to have a phrase that's going to consistently be passing your lips. Why not? Why not? I pray the, the playful dreamer to arise. Why not? The cheeky dreamer, the one who asks, why not? Why not? God can do it. And so I declare even over families, over businesses, over relationships, that categories that have limited would bust open now in Jesus' Name. Amen.
0: Well, I pray that you are feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. And hey, why don't you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m., and it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless.